if the FTX collapse pulls down Silvergate and Silvergate pulls down other banks because they are a bank, this isn't just purely crypto anymore. I think that that will definitely be a thing that someone points to and says we need more regulation for sure. I just find it hard to believe that the people that will put the regulation in place are the same people that were taking the money from Sam Bankman Free in the first place at the start of this whole process. So the regulation will be BS. It'll come, it'll definitely come, but it'll be BS. And the reason why it'll be BS is because you don't need regulation, just hold your own Bitcoin. to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. And I'm Ian. And, and we're, we're the, the Recepies. My husband Ian is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am not. Each week he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. We have a lot of fun with it. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with technical analysis and price targets, babe. You promise? I promise. And I promise we won't overwhelm you with ads. That's because we operate on the value for value business model. What's that? Instead of reading off a bunch of ads, we're going to keep things a little more personal, intimate, if you will. If you enjoy the show, meaning it brings you some value, consider supporting us. That support can be sharing the pot on your socials, recommending us to a friend, and yes, even sending us some money. And since I'm the Bitcoiner, I prefer Bitcoin. And you can send us some on our favorite podcasting app, Fountain. If you want to learn more about the pod, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and our bout page to learn the different ways you can support the show. And if you're new here or not, make sure you check out the Satoshi Savings Calculator on the site. It's a little app that I built that enables you to set a goal for how much Bitcoin you want to acquire while also reinforcing certain Bitcoin concepts like the having and Satoshis. And since I know Bitcoiners are all about their privacy, the app works completely in airplane mode and only saves data to your browser's local storage. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show. We may make the content, but without you, all I'm really doing here is flirting with my husband in front of a microphone. Y'all ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Guten Tag. Buongiorno. Konnichiwa. Hallo. And howdy to Texas. So I'm very congested today. I'm feeling okay, but I'm super congested. It happens to the best of us. It happens, so bear with me. It's not going to stop me, though, from singing a song, because it's our anniversary today. Our um, podcast anniversary. Is today the day? Yeah. Looks like we made it. Look how far we've come, my baby. We might have took the long way. We knew we'd get there someday. They said, I bet they'll never make it. But just look at us holding on. 47 episodes, still going strong. That's my podcast anniversary song to to Ian. Thank you, sweetheart. Did you love it? It It was something. Do you have flutters? It was something. It was something. (laughs) (laughs) My congestion, I feel like, made it better. (laughs) It made it more memorable, that's for sure. (laughs) So yeah, one year of doing the pod, how do you feel? Does that song capture how you feel? To some extent, I think. <laughs> they con- said we'd never make it. We had a lot of haters. Did con- we? <laughs> congested version of Shania Twain. Yeah, that's that's how it feels one year in. I mean, we've had a lot of support. Um, shout yeah. out to all of our listeners that keep listening every week. Shout out to all of our like new listeners that just hop on and listen to the full catalog of, of all the episodes we've put out there. I'd be really impressed if anyone out there is still like newly joining the pod and listening from the beginning, that was definitely in the case this summer mm-hmm. when we had maybe like 25, 30 episodes, but like 47 episodes is a lot. Well, the first ones are kind of short. They are, but now nah, this is a lot of hours and hours of adorable banter, Bitcoin banter. Witty bant. <laughs> Witty bant. Um, what time is it? Current time is 771-180. And we are approximately 1,720 blocks since our last episode. And for the anniversary, podcast is officially 53,158 blocks old. So is one year like around 53,000 
blocks? I mean, there's some metric. I mean, obviously, like the blocks are programmed to come in every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's somewhere around there. I mean, we got a couple days to go still because we started on the 11th. That's true. We recorded on the 9th. We published on the 11th. You could pull it up. There's tons of calculators that will tell you the official. Ian coming in with that historical accuracy. What is important as far as blocks is that we're only 68,000 blocks until the halving. Ooh, I'm so excited about the halving. It's going to be my first halving. The first one's always the big one. <laughs> <laughs> you never forget your first halving. So how many Satoshis can I get with one US dollar right now? For one dollar, you can get 5,807 Satoshis right now. And if we get real lucky, we might get the Satoshi price up to one penny after this halving. That'd be real lucky. That means Bitcoin went to a million. Do you think that's possible? No, but I do think that we could get to like a hundredth of a penny or a tenth of a yeah, penny. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. The math will be much easier on that. Yeah. And once you get to a Satoshi being equal to a penny, then this whole like unit bias starts to disappear and people can start doing actual calculations. We say hello in all those different languages. We have a lot of different listeners around the world. Pretty much our dominant group are Spanish-speaking people, whether mm -hmm. it's Argentina or Mexico. And um, we don't celebrate this here in America, but there was a big holiday this this past uh, Friday in the you know global south called Epiphany and or King's Day. And there's a little backstory to this holiday for me. I was in Brazil on King's Day, and my last name is Reese, and I was wearing my soccer jersey. And these Brazilian guys were like, oh, that's a cool jersey, you know, like, da-da-da, it's King's Day. And I was like, yeah, it's my name. He's like, no, like, in Brazil, in Portuguese, reis, R-E-I-S, is King's, and it's King's Day. And I was like, what? <laughs> There's a holiday named after me? <laughs> Not named after you. There's a holiday... <laughs> <laughs> that has my name in yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. And so <laughs> I like texted my dad and I was like, this is really cool. And he didn't know about it. And um, so I've been like, kind of like every year saying happy King's Day to people. Didn't do it last year because it's January 6th. And so some other crazy things have been going on on January 6th. But we're taking back the day. And we're taking back the day. And the reason why I know that this happened or I was reminded is because we were in Puerto Rico this past week and um they were celebrating king's day and everyone's saying oh friday's a holiday and all of our friends were like what holiday king's day i was yeah. like oh well, yeah it's reese day we were down there for a group trip but it was really fun um funny story about puerto rico we were walking around i think it's called la placita um it plaza was de mercado okay that's what it was called it's i thought it had a couple of other names Either way. Maybe it did, but that was written on the building. It has a, it's a couple of blocks of just a ton of, of nightclubs and bars and things like that. And we're walking into one of the streets and there's a place called Bitcoin Center. And I get so excited and it's a bar and there are all these people sitting outside of it. We go inside. There's all of these like printouts of barcodes that take you to cash app to pay in Bitcoin. And I was like, all right, we are going to buy something in person in Bitcoin. Ian goes to order drinks when it's time to pay. The guy's like cash only, right? Honestly, I don't know what he said. It made no sense. Because I couldn't hear him and it was in Spanish. But basically the owner of the place said no Bitcoin. It made no sense. So like when I tell you this place was covered in signs called Bitcoin Center, it said learn and use Bitcoin. It said all of these things. We took a picture outside of it. I was ready to film Ian like paying for it in Bitcoin and it didn't happen. So we're still out here trying to find a country uh, that will let us pay for something in Bitcoin when we visit them. But it just doesn't happen. Well, we can go to Costa Rica to the Bitcoin jungle. Yeah. We don't go that far into Costa Rica. We don't go that far into Costa Rica. Maybe next time we go, we can go there. Or we go to El Salvador. El Salvador seems like the, the easiest place to go at this point. You just get off the airplane <laughs> and you start spending. Miami really did disappoint me, though. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's real, babe. Yeah. I know Bitcoin adoption is happening, but it's it's kind of a bummer that it hasn't 
been something that I've experienced in real life yet. But we'll get there. I think your best bet if you want to bend your Bitcoin or have a Bitcoin transaction is to buy something on the internet and pay yeah. for your Bitcoin. Yeah. Because I've purchased some stuff. Yeah. Uh, using from Strike people. from real people. Actually, shout out to one of these guys on Twitter at Need Creations. He actually made these like Bitcoin playing cards mm-hmm. that have all these like fun facts about Bitcoin on them and stuff like that. You know, he just was on Twitter like, hey, I made these cards. Anyone interested? I was like, yeah, I'll take a pack. And <laughs> he uh, just, you know, copy pasted a lightning invoice into the Twitter DM. I paid it and he shipped them to me. That's simple, yeah. <laughs> right? And I paid them through Strike. So like I just converted dollars into Bitcoin and on they went. I didn't spend any of my stack, right? I just spent dollars. Yep. But he got what he wanted, which was Bitcoin. And now there's a little less dollars in circulation. Yeah. I need to find something that I actually want that I could buy in Bitcoin. We'll get there one day. I also bought those tulips that we planted. You did. Yeah. So hopefully when those come in in the spring, we'll take some pictures and we'll share. Bitcoin tulips. They're They're bright orange. Allegedly they're orange. We don't know. They were in bulb form. But yeah, I think your best bet is going to be more on the internet first and then going to like the very Bitcoin dominant places if you want to spend it in person. Well, I'm patient. I can wait. All right, let's move over to shout outs and give a shout out to the booster of the week, Busy Brain. He said, excellent episode. I just discovered your podcast and you've gained a sub and a fan. Thank you for your pursuits and an enjoyable episode I can share with normies as a good entry point into warming up to the idea of Bitcoin adoption. Much love from dot 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 reading Bitcoin podcast. So seems like Busy Brain is a podcaster themselves. So that's really cool. Yeah, so if you have a podcast like... Give a shout out for it in your boosts and we'll listen. Or I'll make Ian listen because he loves to listen to Bitcoin podcasts. And then I'll make him explain to me what your podcast taught him. Is that fair? Just give you more homework? More homework, yeah. You love it. And then we got uh, our boosts over 500 sats this week. Shout out to Zordon. Skinny Sats, Risco, and TNT Mom. We appreciate all of the support you guys continue to give us. I promise our second year is going to be even better than the first. So in that vein, if you are listening on Fountain, you know, we're not, it might sound like it, but Fountain does not sponsor this podcast at all. (laughs) Uh, We don't get any money from Fountain except from listeners. We give Fountain money. Actually, yeah, we do give Fountain money. Um, So you guys can get sats in our episodes when you stream them. Uh, Fountain had a big update this past week. I've been in the beta for a couple weeks now, but it's a pretty big update. And I think there's a lot of improvements to the app. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of bugs um, as they work through a migration that they're doing. So they were using um, some other Lightning host for their Lightning transactions. They moved over to a different one. So there's still some kinks to work out there. But the coolest thing about the update is that now on the homepage, there's like a social media feed. So like when you leave comments, if you're following me or I'm following you, you actually see the comment in your feed more like a Twitter or a social media concept. Um, That enabled me to like see a lot of comments and stuff like that and actually reply in a more reasonable manner than going through all the past episodes, Mm -hmm. making sure that I didn't miss a comment, right? So that's a really cool update. If you haven't installed Fountain, install it. Um, If you haven't updated it recently and you don't see this activity feed, update your app and you'll see this new home feed. It's a really cool upgrade. And as a software engineer, I really see the, I can see where this is going and it's going to be really cool. You just got to like work through the iterations. Yeah, let it it all play out and have fun with it. So December was kind of a whirlwind. We didn't talk too much about what was going on in the Bitcoin world. We just talked about things that I wanted to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i'm sure i've missed a lot uh give me a rundown babe like what are the big things happening with bitcoin aside from ftx which that wasn't even really bitcoin right i mean ironically no ftx was not bitcoin related (laughs) um, as we've learned through the bankruptcy filings i mean yeah so we could just work backwards a little bit most recently bitcoin turned 14 um that happened Depending on when you want to start counting, either the 3rd or the 9th of January. Um, So the white paper came out Halloween. Is that what it is? And then it took three months for them to make it. mm -hmm. Okay. Checks out. Good. Look at you. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a second. I thought we already celebrated an anniversary. But all right. So Bitcoin turned 14, deep into puberty. 
I, I guess that's one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Adolescence. And so, yeah, I mean, all last year was kind of a downward trajectory in the fiat price of Bitcoin, but it was an upward trajectory in almost every other metric of Bitcoin, notably the hash rate. So the hash rate is basically a measurement of roughly how secure the network is. Um, and it hit all-time highs almost every month. Secure meaning what? People can't crash it? Um, secure meaning like if you wanted to try to hack the network, you would have to defeat more and more computers. Okay, so right? it's the number of miners it's not the and number validators? Of, it's not the number of miners. It's just the amount of compute power. Okay. So you could have one computer that has a lot of compute, or okay. you could have millions of computers that have a little bit of compute. All right. Bitcoin is the latter. And most computer networks are the latter. So it means... More is getting invested in the Bitcoin infrastructure. Yeah, it's it's a combination of there's more investment. Um, we talked about some Bitcoin mining companies possibly going bankrupt mm-hmm. because they did some malinvestment. But for every one bad investment, there's a bunch of people that didn't go bankrupt, right? But also the the hardware itself was improved. So if you just had a hundred miners and all of them just improved their processing power, you have more hash rate. So there's all these virtuous uh, virtuous cycles that are at play that encourage everyone to make their setup better, which makes the network more secure. So part of the Bitcoin birthday celebration is that it's also proof of keys day. Um, this is like a big thing in the Bitcoin community, not your keys, not your coin. And so if you are a person that has Bitcoin on an exchange, obviously get it off. Mm-hmm. Obviously move it to a place that you control the keys for. And basically on Bitcoin's birthday, you are highly encouraged to do it as not only um, moving Bitcoin off the exchange, but actually validating that the keys that you currently have in your setup actually still works, right? Why wouldn't they still work? It's not that they wouldn't work. It's that if you don't if you don't interact with them on a regular basis, you may not know how it works. You might have forgotten, or for example, do you know how to move our Bitcoin? No. There you go. I knew you were going to ask that. So, like, that's why, right? Okay. Um, you do it for yourself. If you're by yourself, you do it with. The, your significant other, mm-hmm. right? If you're doing this together, make sure both people know. Obviously, you haven't been feeling well, so we didn't really um, dive into that. But the irony of Proof of Keys Day is that within the same time, I don't think it was the same day, but within like four or five days of Bitcoin's birthday slash Proof of Keys Day, uh, one of the Bitcoin core developers was h- hacked. I saw that. And I'm putting this in air quotes. I'm just going to go really quick on this because I don't want to like, I'm not... I don't want to like make fun of this person. Allegedly, they lost like over 200 Bitcoin. So that's like really painful, especially if you think about the long term implications of what 200 Bitcoin is. But from everything that I've seen and read and heard, this person really just overcomplicated their setup. And this goes back to the whole concept of proof of keys day. He outsmarted himself and basically created a vector of attack. I won't get into the details with you because... I would have to explain a lot of computer science Mm -hmm. concepts to go that far. But the short of it is that he didn't need to do any of that. All you have to do at this stage of the game is get a hardware wallet, preferably a cold card, and never connect it to the internet at all. Okay, (laughs) I I hear what you're saying, but are are other people in agreement with what you just said who have been following really closely what's been happening to this guy? Yes. Okay. Yes. And has he conceded that? I don't know what he's conceded, but from everything that I've read and from the people that have made the most strongest comments about what we mm-hmm. all know, because he did he did tell us a lot, yeah. um, he just overcomplicated it. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I will say like my immediate reaction to, to it, because I saw his Twitter thread, because um, remember guys, I'm on... Th- um nostra and so i saw it and i sent it to ian thinking i saw it before he did but i didn't but I beat you by like a couple hours yeah I but i still i was like <laughs> oh look what i learned about before you and ian was like nah i already knew about that but um i did read like some of the the thread and i immediately was like shit is bitcoin not as safe as i thought it was or is this showing that bitcoin isn't this unhackable thing no, Bitcoin is unhackable. He was socially engineered. Yeah. Right? Like the human was hacked, not the network. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so that's the point is just because 
a person is smart just because the person is a Bitcoin developer doesn't necessarily mean that they are taking the appropriate steps to protect their wealth. I think that's so scary. Like, it, I, I, I think it like triggers the initial concerns and fears that I had about Bitcoin when, you know, very early on you were explaining it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, our securing the bag series mm-hmm. when you walk me through all of those things. He did none of the things in our episode. Really? That's my point. Wow. We made a whole episode that if he had followed what we said, this wouldn't have happened I mean, to him. I mean, how many people have we told that? We've told everyone I that, know. right? So that's my point. It's is like tough, what, what he was doing, what he was Listen doing. Listen to the Securing the Bag series. If, you, if you're kind of new to the pod, go back and, and listen to those episodes because, you know, it's not even about like, oh, listen to my podcast. I have a podcast. I want to, you know, no, it's, it just, you know, really, I, I think it's so important for people to be educated and informed and it's just heartbreaking when people lose their money just because they didn't have someone kind of shake them and be like, this is how you should be storing your money. And really the securing the bag series, it does that. And I, it lays out all of the information that you should have that I think still, Ian, you feel confident that that is the right guidance to give to someone who's trying to securely store their Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, again, Bitcoin was not hacked. Mm-hmm. Someone would have had to have guessed an infinitely decimal small chance at guessing his private keys Mm -hmm. but that's not what happened he had a setup where someone just got them yeah they didn't have to guess right and so if you have a hardware wallet which is it is the de facto way to secure the bag if you have a hardware wallet they are designed so that your private keys are generated inside of the device and they are never connected to the internet and they can never be retrieved from the device now there's a debate on which device does that the best, right? Uh, I think there's a pseudo consensus that cold card is a pretty good one. Um, there's some new ones coming out that will probably have some new hardware wallets this year. And we'll all get to see who's got the new latest and greatest. For something like cold card, for example, it goes a step further where the USB like power source, they disable the data. So data can't go through that cable. Right, mm-hmm. it's just power. They have a memory card that you put in and out, so you never connect it to anything that's connected to the internet. And from what I understand, this guy had his keys on something that was by de facto connected to the internet. Can I like kind so, of change like, the subject <laughs> a little, like while we're talking about this? Because Ian and I, you know, we were in and out of airports recently, and you had said that somebody had recently been stopped in Australia at the airport. And their computer, I'm sorry, their phone was confiscated. And they said that, that they had taken their Bitcoin. Yeah, so like... And sorry, based on that story, and I'll let you go into that story, Ian was like, we shouldn't have any of our Bitcoin apps or on our phones when we travel. And we should have a phone that only has our Bitcoin stuff like separate mm-hmm. to the regular phones that we use. So that that if we're ever in a situation where the authorities are like, you have to unlock your phone, they wouldn't be able to access any of your stuff. We can jump to that topic. It's a juicy topic. And I think like, it's not, it's like a lot of extra work when you think about it. Cause like at the comfort of your phone, you know, you want your phone to have all of the stuff on it, but then it's like, no, you don't want your phone to have all the stuff on it. Yeah. But that, this particular story is not even a Bitcoin story. If you think about it, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is, People have Cash App on their phone. Mm-hmm. People have PayPal on their phone. People have all kinds of ways to move money, to move their money on their phone. Yeah, but you can can't you can like go back if it's if it's like fiat, you can go back and get that money back through Cash App. That's not the point. The point is is that when you go through the airport, you are de facto a criminal. You know my opinion on airports. Every time we're in an airport, he's like, "Ugh, I'm being treated like a criminal the second I step in here. Not only are you being treated like a criminal, you're being treated like a criminal by criminals now because they've actually passed laws. That's what has happened to this guy in Australia. They have a law that says you have to surrender your phone. Mm-hmm. You have to unlock it or you will be detained. Yeah. So if you're forced to hand over your phone and you're forced to unlock it and they take your phone in some other room, yeah. forget about your, I mean, Bitcoin, yeah, like they can anything. do whatever, yeah. right? Okay. 
One of the big things that you can do... They can take your nudes, guys. Don't have nudes on your phone. Don't take nudes. Yeah, that's, that's the least of anyone's concern. I mean, it's my concern about everyone. <laughs> the point there... Privacy is important. The point there is that <laughs> a lot of people use SMS uh-huh. as their two-factor authentication. So if I have your phone and it's unlocked and I log into something, yeah. I have the device that's going to get that yeah. six-digit code. That's what this is about. Bitcoin is like, it's part of all of that. But when you go through an airport and they can take your phone and force you to unlock it, pretty much most people have their entire lives on their phone. And what they're saying is your entire life is now subject to being inspected. Bitcoin is secondary. It's an important part of that your whole life. But as we all know, most people don't have Bitcoin. Yeah, but like if you have Bitcoin, now here are the things that you're forced to be thinking about. All of your money that you're trying to securely hold yourself. That vulnerability that you're now exposed to, like it gets you thinking about all the other ways you're vulnerable. Yeah. The reason why this story caught my attention is because I've already realized that I I take a decent amount of precaution that I used to not take with my phone because of Bitcoin now. Right. Like I'm always deleting apps off my phone. I used to do that like maybe once a year. I do it like once a month now. If I haven't used it in like a month, I just Mm -hmm. delete it. But for the most part, like if something has biometrics on it, I put a password. I use biometrics. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I used to do that for like simplicity of logging in. But I don't that's not the thought process that's going through my head anymore. These laws and they were were passed in. You know, you would think a law like this, you'd hear this and you'd you'd swear that it was China. Right. Like, no, this was I'm just going to. I'm probably going to mess up all the countries here, but United States, Australia, New Zealand, UK, the Western countries, you know, the quote unquote good guys. That's where these laws were passed. So in America, they can do this now? Yep. They passed the law in 2017. Oh, they've been doing this. And I was unaware of it until this story. Mm. And that's my point is that they've already passed laws. These laws are already sitting there waiting for a reason to use them. Mm-hmm. My main reason why I hate TSA and like airports is because I'm a little bit older than you, not by a lot. I know, you tell the story all the time. But I'm gonna tell it. When I went into the Air Force, I got on a plane July 3rd, 2001. There was no such thing as TSA. No such thing. You walked right to the gate. Your, your family could wave you goodbye as you walked down that little ramp or whatever. Like that was security. A lot of people don't remember that. Because they're too young to even remember that. Um, the way that we're treated at the airport today, it's not normal. This is not how it always was. But it appears like that. Because after 9-11, it was scare everyone to being, to being accepting of this new paradigm. I see this type of rule being passed in a way where before you know it, it's like it's just what you have to do to get, go through an airport. Yeah. And no one really argues or questions it because it's like, well, of course you got to do that. Just I mean, like I think everyone hates it. It's so stupid. Well, hating it and accepting it are two different things. And so like people have to get from A to B, so they have to fly. Airports don't hire TSA, right? Like, that's not like the airport doesn't want TSA there either because yeah. that makes the airport less fun. Yeah. Right? So there's this like, there's this thing that sits between you and the service that you bought which is I need to get from point A to point B and it's called TSA. And over the years, they've just created so many draconian rules. Like we were coming back from Puerto Rico and I forgot to take my belt off, right? No one said anything. As many times I've been yelled at. They don't catch that shit. They don't catch anything. But that's my point. I remember in college, I had a professor who was a cop and he said that he went through TSA with his gun and he had forgotten to tell him that he had his gun and he was about to miss his flight. So he just kept going. But he was like, TSA doesn't catch shit. Right. Now, the point is, is that whether they catch it or not, if they do catch it, you are in the wrong. If they don't catch it, you don't get to go to them and say, uh, someone should be fired for like, Oh, absolutely. So like, this thing with the phone, I think that it's 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 already been put in place. It's already they're already gearing up to start confiscating phones of people who are fleeing countries and are probably moving Bitcoin and moving wealth in a digital manner. And they're going to have a list, probably of the really really wealthy people, probably not coming after us. <laughs> um, but that's what this is going to be used for. And this goes back to 
All you have to do is memorize 12 words and you can walk through an airport naked. Obviously you'll get stopped for that, but it's like, don't you want me naked so I can, so I can get through security? Like it's ridiculous. But that's my point is that they'll be like, sorry, we're going to have to pat you down, sir. 12 words is all it takes to solve this whole problem. And don't keep anything Bitcoin related on your phone unless you absolutely have to. Um, and if you are moving large amounts of money in Bitcoin, well, then, you know what? Go somewhere, get to your destination and buy a new phone. <laughs> like basically buy a burner wherever you go. Like if you really if you really are moving that kind of money around because the laws are there and you don't want to be the guy that's caught and all of a sudden you get robbed by Bolivian TSA. Yeah. Right. It happens. So another interesting thing that happened was a couple of weeks ago, there was a massive uh, jet stream collapse and like the entire Midwest of America basically dropped to like one of them was like negative 40 degrees, I think. The cool thing about this was that you could see this weather hitting the United States in the Bitcoin network because what was happening was that as the temperature dropped, price of electricity rose. As the price of electricity rose, Bitcoin mining became unprofitable. Bitcoin mining becomes unprofitable, Bitcoin miners start shutting off. Bitcoin miners start shutting off, that hash rate we talked about earlier dropped. Hash rate dropped, and it dropped so much that the... Like the global hash rate, or is there an American hash rate? I mean, you could probably figure out an American hash rate, but that's not really the point. The point Uh is that so many turned off. Yeah. So many Bitcoin miners turned off because of this particular weather event that there was an upcoming difficulty adjustment, right? Every two weeks, there's a difficulty adjustment for Bitcoin mining. It was projected to be like, uh, I forget the number, but so many people dropped off from mining that the difficulty adjustment like bounced. Let's just say it was supposed to be 10%. It bounced to 5%, oh, okay. right? And so the difficulty of my difficulty adjustment adjusted because there were actually fewer Bitcoin miners. And you can see all this in the data. But if you were just a person coming from outer space and didn't know anything, you wouldn't have necessarily known that there was a, a weather event that happened. But if you were just looking at the Bitcoin network, you would have seen something caused a lot of Bitcoin miners to shut off. Like an energy event. Some energy event happened. You don't know what, but we know because we are humans on this planet that it was a weather event. And why is this important? It's important because it shows the correlation of Bitcoin to energy, right? Bitcoin to energy is really where a lot of this, well, what is Bitcoin right? Like Bitcoin is dot, dot, dot. These are the types of events that kind of prove that Bitcoin is energy. Because if you are running a Bitcoin mining operation for profit, and it becomes unprofitable to mine Bitcoin because of the cost of energy, then by definition, you know, when people say Bitcoin has no value, it's like there's some value in there because people stop doing it (laughs) at a certain point. So there's not no value here. Um, And it is converting electricity, whether it's renewable, locally sourced energy or just abundant energy that's on the grid and available very cheap. It doesn't really matter, but it's converting that energy into Bitcoin, which can be used at a later date. Right. Like we produced really cheap energy today. We convert it to Bitcoin five years from now. We can spend it on things in the future. You can't really do that before Bitcoin. You know, if energy is generated, you got to use it or lose it. Now we have Bitcoin. Okay, baby, these have been somewhat juicy stories, but do you have any drama coming up? There's always drama. Um, Obviously, the big drama of this past year was just the crypto crash. Um, I forget the total number of companies that basically lost everyone's money, but it's I think it's approaching like 10. You can think of all that crypto stuff as like a really loosely coupled pyramid scheme. There were all these companies that basically were lending to each other and borrowing from each other. and um, Like a Ponzi scheme. Pyramid Ponzi, you know, whatever. Well, I'm saying pyramid because with a pyramid, there's someone at the top. Mm-hmm. And that someone at the top <gasps> looks like they're in trouble now. Ooh. Are they really rich? They're wealthy. Uh-huh. So 
The name of the company is DC. Why am I so excited when a rich person is going down? <laughs> well, it's because they're not really rich, right? Uh-huh. Like they're running, they're running a scam. The emperor has no clothes. So there's a lot of stuff that we haven't really talked about on the pod because it's not really pertinent to educating you mm-hmm. on a lot of Bitcoin stuff. But there's a couple of things in the Bitcoin world. There's um, GBTC. So GBTC is a ticker like Tesla, right? GBTC is a ticker you can buy on most stock exchanges, and it's run by a company. uh, It's run by this company where they hold Bitcoin. And for people who weren't allowed to buy Bitcoin, institutional investors that weren't allowed to buy Bitcoin, you could buy GBTC instead. And that was like giving you exposure to Bitcoin. When they first started this fund, um, there was like a premium, right? Like there was more people wanted to put money in than the Bitcoin was available. So like you were paying a premium of like, 30 or 40% more than the Bitcoin was worth. Throughout this whole year, that number has been coming down. And now the premium is like negative. It's like negative 40%. This is just one of many products that this company has like bombed on. And they've bombed on it just because the price of Bitcoin has gone down. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Another one of their products is this uh, earn interest on your Bitcoin product. And what they did was they said, look, you know, insert Bitcoin or insert crypto company. You know, you can expose, you can give your users exposure to risk in exchange for a return on their deposits. Um, The biggest one that did this was Gemini, which is the Winklevoss twins of Facebook fame. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These guys keep popping up, right? Okay, so they run this company called Gemini. They really do keep popping up. Uh, They... They make interesting choices. Well, I mean, we could do a whole episode on the Winklevoss. Yeah, I don't care about them. The point is, is that basically the Winklevoss brothers took the money that they made from Mark Zuckerberg in their Facebook lawsuit. And they bought a bunch of Bitcoin back when it was really cheap. They were like one of the first big purchasers of Bitcoin. I think they have like a million Bitcoin or something crazy like that. Dang. But the point is, is that they have an exchange. Hopefully it's on a cold card. No, it's worse. They own their own exchange. So the Winklevi twins started an exchange called Gemini. Ah. Right. We don't use Gemini. We've never used Gemini. But Gemini, Coinbase, same thing. Right. Well, Gemini, a couple years ago or last year, started offering this product called Gemini Earn, where their users could deposit Bitcoin and they would get, I think it was like four or five. Like Celsius, right? Similar to Celsius um, in the sense that you're going to earn money on your deposits. Um, But if I recall correctly, Celsius was paying their interest out in Celsius tokens. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Gemini Earn, I believe, was paying it either in Bitcoin, like BlockFi, or in USD or Tether, like some USD crypto. Mm-hmm. Well, the company that they were working with to facilitate that get your interest on your money was the same company that runs GBTC, right? So uh, the name of the company is called Digital Currency Group, DCG. And they have all these subsidiaries that have all these different things that they can do. They have like a wealth management company and they have like this... Uh, 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 Genesis company, which is what Gemini was using. And then they have GBTC, which is like the stock product. They have all these like little things going on, right? Well, as we all know, whenever someone pauses withdrawals, (laughs) you're not getting your money back. Yikes. So about 50 something days ago, Genesis paused withdrawals. Gemini and all of their users are like, where's my money, man? It's $900 million worth of money that they have just said they're not going to give back. And so while we were on vacation, um, the one of the Winklevi brothers wrote this like open ed, you know, open letter, posted it on Twitter, I think, or somewhere pretty public, to the CEO that was like, hey, Barry, it's been 51 days since you <laughs> paused withdrawals and we want to know when you're going to unpause them so we can get our money and our customers can get... And then they had like a little spat back and forth on Twitter or whatever. Here's the problem. This guy, Barry, which I didn't know this. I've actually learned something because of all of this going down. He actually has a long history in the Bitcoin community. Right when I got involved, which I didn't really understand at the moment back then, but I understand today. There's what's called the block wars, the block size wars. <laughs> like the... Uh, like the clone wars. <laughs> yeah, the clone wars. So these are the block wars. So yeah, like 2016, 17, there was... Is it the... like... Um, so it was kind of like West Side Story, the block wars, the Jets versus the Sharks. Yeah, in the sense that... Was anyone falling in love on the wrong side of the tracks? I'm sure probably. 
Um, wherever there's, you show me a pile of money, I'll show you romances. Sex and, and intrigue. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, so anyway, this guy Barry, who runs DCG, he goes all the way back to that. And I didn't know that Barry was the like ringleader of the, we'll just call the losing side of the block wars. And what the block wars were was a bunch of corporate entities came in and tried to basically force some changes through on Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin community basically stood up and said, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> we're just not going to go along with that. Mm-hmm. And it was a big like clash. And it kind of showed that it doesn't matter how much money you bring to the fight. You can't influence. And when did this all happen? When were the block wars? As I just said, like 2016, Oh, 2016-17. Okay, so a lot of these big players were into Bitcoin a while ago. Well, this is the point, is that this guy, Barry Silbert is his name. He's been around for a while. I didn't know that about this story until very recently. I was listening to a podcast on the plane, and I got a little more detail on this particular guy, but... He was already like a not trustworthy entity in the industry when the Winklevi brothers used his company to set up Gemini Earn. Is that Winklevoss? Well, we call the Winklevoss, the plural is Winklevi. Oh, really? No, but that's what we call them. Oh, I didn't they're know that. Ca- they're characters in the world. <laughs> like, Okay, you know the more than I know about this. No one says Winklevosses. Nobody? <laughs> no. Okay, I'll stop saying it then because I talk about them so much. Yeah. Um, anyway, so like, I didn't know that he was already like, he was a character and he was already not trustworthy. And these guys, the Winklevi, went along with his product. So I have a little less sympathy for them in what kind of happened to them as a business. I have more sympathy for their users because... Yeah. This is where it gets really this is where it gets really tricky. People thought they were being responsible. They were told that Gemini was regulated. There was a bunch of rules and regulations. They got all these regulation licenses and stuff like that. So they thought they were using a safe exchange. Then they say, "Oh, well this other product, uh Genesis that we're going to deposit your Bitcoin into to get you this interest, that's also regulated." So you got these two regulated in- entities, you know, a regular user looks at that and goes, "Well, I kind of want to play this game and this seems relatively safe. What you didn't know was that Genesis, company that Barry runs, was basically just being a degenerate just like Sam Bankman-Fried, mm-hmm. right? But they hid all that from you by fronting it with Gemini Earn. Yeah. So it looked real legit, but the, it was the same FTX nonsense. It's the same Celsius nonsense. It's all the same nonsense. But this goes back to like, you know, you were joking like, oh, maybe the Winkle, oh, sorry, maybe the Winkle... Winkle? Winklevi. Maybe the Winklevi boss twins, they uh, kind of know what they're talking about. No, I mean, I always, I think they're charlatans because I think they associate with sketchy uh, players and they're all about just making that money. They're not about innovation or anything. Like, what were they bringing to the table that was innovative with Gemini? So I'm not saying that this was an innovative product. This was a product that was being presented in a way that it was like, we are regulated. It's right. safe. Were there versus what? Something that wasn't safe like what? Versus Celsius that wasn't regulated. Versus Binance that wasn't regulated. Versus FTX that wasn't. Like, and who was regulating them? So it's called a bit license. I don't know when this came about, but years ago, New York State came up with this thing called a bit license. And you mm-hmm. had to get this license and you had to pass some checks and, you know, get some boxes and probably bribe some people to get this license, which enables you to do certain things with your product. Now, don't get me wrong. I think all of that is comical and is just ripe for corruption, Mm -hmm. but it's all the same stuff that banks do, right? So they were presenting themselves as we're just a digital bank. And if you trust banks, we are being held to the same scrutiny as banks. And so this product Gemini earned was like a savings account where you could deposit your money, your Bitcoin, and you could get a return on it. But in order to get that return, you always have to ask the question, well, where's that yield coming from? Yeah. And it was coming from Barry and his group. Which Opusca- was like a Ponzi scheme. And you don't, and what we're learning is that, you know, they owe, they owe Gemini $900 million. They owe a total of like $3 billion. Shit. So like 900 million is like, it's part of the problem, uh, but there's other money that like they need to come up so with. So have they collapsed? Um, collapse is a relative term. Uh, they are on their way to collapse. 
And the reason why I say that is because the only way I'm going to be able to pay off these people is to raise money. But so much information is coming out that you'd have to be a psychopath <laughs> to like give this person money yeah. to just pay off debts that he accrued from running a bad business, right? Like yeah. it's very similar to Sam Bankman-Fried where he was like running around trying to raise $8 billion yeah. telling everyone, oh, we're going to put bananas on the blockchain. And then like, okay, but you're... Like, we saw everything that happened on Twitter, man. You got to tell me more than bananas on the blockchain. But these Winklevi twins, they uh, they have a hundred, they have a million Bitcoin? No, 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 no. I don't know, like, I don't know if they still have it. I'm okay. saying back in the day, they, they bought, bought a bunch. I'm like, they should be able to pay their customers. Well, you never pay people with your own money. I know. They'll you want to get your, bankruptcy you get your yada, customer yada, yada. money back. That's their money. That's not Gemini's yeah, money. Yeah, I know. So... The point is, is that like whenever someone says like, we're going to pay you a rate if you deposit your Bitcoin with us, this is the most important part of this whole story. And it's the lesson of last year. And I hope fewer people have to learn this lesson this year. Anytime someone says, posit your Bitcoin here and we will give you insert percentage on top of that over time that you have to ask the question, well, where are you getting that money from? And if they're not charging any of their customers, any fees or anything like that, there's no money coming in, then they are literally gambling with your money somewhere else, yeah. hoping that they make more than they said they were going to give Which you. Which is what banks are doing today. Which is what banks have failed at yeah. this past year <laughs> also, right? True that. So what I'm, I'm saying all this to say is that uh, Gemini, DCG, uh, the Winklevi brothers, Barry, all of these people are all playing the same game. They're taking the thing that actually gives you freedom out of this fractional banking system. And then they're making you an offer that says, we'll come into this fractional banking system again, just with Bitcoin instead of dollars. Yeah. And I would argue that Bitcoin is the escape valve. If you, if you are smart enough or you are curious enough to buy Bitcoin, ask yourself why... Everyone in the banking world says it's rat poison and everyone in the crypto world is trying to convince you to deposit it with them. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like there's something that's not adding up there. And the thing that's not adding up is that when someone like Barry makes a bunch of these bets and takes all your money and gambles it away or Sam Bankman Freed or the Celsius guy or the Three Arrows Capital guy or the Voyager guy, right? It doesn't matter, right? Like all these guys are playing the same game. When they fail, they just don't have the clout to go to the government and demand to be rescued. That's the only difference. They just don't have the clout. They're trying to get the clout, but they don't have it. The Gemini Earn product and the the Genesis product that was generating that yield were supposedly regulated, under observation, you could treat me like a bank yeah, kind of product. Which means nothing. Which means nothing. Which then have to beg the question, well, what does it mean for the banks? What happens when they don't get bailed out? You're going to be sitting there writing letters. Well, <laughs> it's they're been FDIC fi- insured, right? Yeah, up to how much? 200000 is that right? Sure, what yeah. if you have 300000 Yeah, true. There's people that have millions of dollars in, I know, in, I know. in, in bank I accounts. I know, I know. You know, they, they told Kanye... Get out of here. We don't want your money. He had hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. If J.P. Morgan Chase went bankrupt, they would have took all of Kanye's money. Poor Kanye. It's like, I feel bad. Just using Kanye as an extreme example. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's like one version of this story. But the other version of this story is that there's an actual bank bank that might be blowing up. Gemini, that's crypto, that's, you know, that's Bitcoin, that's crypto, that's, you know, whatever you want to call it. But there's an actual bank bank that might be blowing up also. And that, I think, is very interesting because this bank has been one of the few banks that have been facilitating a lot of, you know, going from fiat into the crypto world. Baby, I'm going to need you to name names. The name of the bank is called Silvergate. Mm-hmm. Never heard of them. Cool. <laughs> I had never heard of them until about 60 days ago, right? Okay. And I think I told you this a couple of weeks uh, back before Thanksgiving. We're like, oh, a bank might blow up. This is that bank. <laughs> so do people use this bank or is it more of a business bank? It's a bank that, you know how we talk about like the on-ramps to, to the, the Bitcoin world? Like mm-hmm. you got to convert your dollars to Bitcoin somehow, right? Yeah. So someone like Strike, they don't use them. Strike does not use Silvergate. But someone like Strike might go... To Silvergate and say, hey, 
you know, this is the product that we want to build. We want our users to put their money in through you. You'll hold the bank accounts for us. And then we'll use your banking system to convert their dollars into Bitcoin, yeah. right? Like through APIs and stuff, right? So that's what they do. And again, Stripe does not use Silvergate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Mollers, don't sue me. Turns out <laughs> that Silvergate um, might be tied up in this FTX debacle. Oh. Because it looks like they were not running KYC and anti-money laundering uh, as tight as they should have been. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So basically what's happened is that their stock price collapsed like 40% in one day. And that kind of just set off alarm bells that like, okay, well, who's selling? What might they know and why? Mm -hmm. But the point here is that the Silvergate Bank has been one of these banks that's been facilitating a lot of this fiat to bitcoin fiat to crypto conversion conversion and it's looking like it's looking like that they're in some kind of trouble they probably have a massive hole in their balance sheet because of ftx um and they're probably not going to get it back because all this money gets tied up in bankruptcy right so ftx celsius three o's capital soon to be dcg probably all these guys when they blow up they tie up everyone's money and they crash everyone with them mm-hmm Silvergate being a bank means that they might have other banks' money. And so imagine the contagion that's happened to crypto and FTX bringing down all these other people if a bank pulls down other banks. So let's say that happens. Doesn't that mean that there's going to be like regulations coming for the crypto world more aggressively than ever if the mess of crypto is seeping into fiat? At so, least in America. I still think that FTX was a planned event. The fact that Silvergate might get pulled down with it might be just collateral damage. What do you mean a planned event? I don't think that what happened to FTX was like an honest mistake of like some young kids running a company. and you, you, you think they wanted to elevate an idiot who was scamming everyone to show how corrupt crypto is? I think I think that it will be proven that FTX was a money laundering scheme. It was laundering money from Ukraine. And where that money was coming from is yet to be solidly determined. But it looks like a lot of that money was money that was coming from bills that were being passed in America and money that was being sent to Ukraine. I believe that politicians in America were passing bills to send money to Ukraine. Ukraine was putting that money into FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried was then loaning himself money and making donations to politicians here in America. That is the tightest circle you can draw in the mm-hmm. whole FTX debacle. FTX blowing up just means that it all goes into bankruptcy and we'll figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> right? Blowing up FTX to cover your tracks, okay, that's what I think happened. FTX being involved with Silvergate, possibly just collateral damage because somebody had to facilitate the money moving into FTX, right? So Silvergate just got caught in the crosshairs. If the FTX collapse pulls down Silvergate and Silvergate pulls down other banks because they are a bank, this isn't just purely crypto anymore. I think that that will definitely be a thing that someone points to and says we need more regulation for sure. I just find it hard to believe that the people that will put the regulation in place are the same people that were taking the money from Sam Bankman-Fried in the first place the start of this whole process. So the regulation will be BS. It'll come. It'll definitely come, but it'll be BS. And the reason why it'll be BS is because you don't need regulation. Just hold your own Bitcoin. That's quite a theory, babe. Did you come up with that yourself? Or is that what the Bitcoiners are are throwing around right now? I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I came up with that myself. (laughs) Like, that would be, you know, whatever, a little egotistical. But I do think that I was already heading down that path. And Mm -hmm. someone just kind of gave me other pieces of information that kind of said, oh, well, if with that additional piece of information, I believe in this theory more. Mm -hmm. Right. And the theory, the piece that I got that I didn't really know was the Ukraine FTX connection and how that was all working. And then when we find out during bankruptcy that he had borrowed money from the companies and he was making all these donations to the politicians, it's like, well, that just closes the loop. Yeah, it really right? does. I mean, it it, it, it it checks out. It's not a crazy conspiracy theory the way that you've laid it out. But And like, this guy came out of nowhere. Yeah. F- SBF, right? Like, he just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's like, the wonder kid in DC and like taking pictures with all these politicians. It's like, obviously he was spending the money. I get that. I know how politics mm-hmm. works, 
But like when it all blows up and you get more information, right? It's very similar. I know people probably hate this example, but it's like Nazi Germany. It's like when the country blew up and everyone just went in and started pulling all the records out. And we were like, oh, here's what they were doing. <laughs> like we, they wrote it all down for us, right? Like, thank you. That's what's going on with uh, FTX right now. It's like it's all there in data and in filings and people are just exposing it. But DCG, Barry Silbert, Silvergate, FTX, all these things that blew up last year, it's not over yet. It's not over. And one of the big things that's going to happen this year is if DCG blows up, that product that I talked about, GBTC, they hold, I think it's like over 500,000. It's like it's like a ton of Bitcoin that they hold. They might just decide to sell all of that. Mm-hmm. And if they dump all that Bitcoin on the market, it's going to be a pretty bad day for the fiat price of Bitcoin mm-hmm. if they just dump it on the market. Now, some people are claiming that Barry is like literally holding the Bitcoin community hostage by doing this, right? Like he's going around saying like, if, if you guys don't help me out, I'll just dump all this Bitcoin and break everything. You know, and someone like, let's just use like a, you know, a more hardcore Bitcoin like Michael Saylor, right? Like he probably doesn't want that to get dumped. Yeah. He's got a financial situation where if it goes below a certain price point, he's got to deal with certain things, right? So like this guy, Barry has a lot of Bitcoin and... Maybe not officially, but unofficially is is holding. I say let them dump it. We'll buy low and we'll get over it eventually. Exactly. You can't let these jamokes hold us hostage. Well, this is this goes back to my point, right? It's like it's not holding me hostage. You know, when we go out in the world and I say the word Bitcoin and then someone throws out, oh, but with all the crazy stuff that's happening yeah. with it, like what? It's like no, I'm cool with that. Why? It's because I don't care about the dollar price. Right. If you don't care about the dollar price, if you don't have like if you're not on leverage, right, be on sale, it's just a sale to you. And so 2022, everyone got broken. What a year for me to jump into Bitcoin. 2023 (laughs) is like settling all of that. Yeah. And 2024 is the having 2024 is the having. Bring it on, baby. I'm ready. You know, a year ago when we started this podcast, I don't think I thought this is the kind of stuff that we'd be talking about. Mm. I really thought we'd always just be like talking about blockchain technology, <laughs> which we don't talk about at all. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, this is really interesting stuff and it's really important to regularly tune in, you know, for me to talk to you about it or for others to tune in and just like get an overview, understanding what's going on in this space, because there's a lot of people mucking it up. Mm-hmm. And it can confuse the point of like investing in Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin, whatever that is, that plan. It's like if you don't realize all these other things that are happening, then yeah, when Bitcoin crashes, if it does in a couple of months, you're, you're not seeing it coming. You're panicked. And when people say, hey, aren't you really into Bitcoin and the price has gone down? Are you OK? Your response can just be like, yeah, we knew this was coming. And they'll say, you did? And it's like, yeah. Don't you listen to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast? They talked about it like in January. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's how it plays out. And, you know, if, if we can do that for one person, you know, I know that I, my coworker, Arthur, I know I saved him from Celsius, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know how much money was at play, but whatever amount it was, I saved one person. I feel like this was all worth it. I can be a hero, baby. I mean, minus the soundtrack. (laughs) But this is... You don't give me a soundboard, baby. This is what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to do it when I'm congested and sick. That's fine. Uh, Nothing will stop me from making this a more whimsical experience for our listeners. That's why you're here. (laughs) There's a lot going on here. Right, and you can't just focus on one thing. It's hard to know everything that's going on. Like I said, I just learned about Barry Silbert like three days ago. But the important thing is that as you are following along, you know the, the kind of the format here is that I'm teaching you what I've learned. Yeah. Right. And so there's still a lot of learning to go on. There's something new always happening. And yes, sometimes there's not a lot going on, and maybe we just might crack some jokes about you know Ethereum for people or whatever. But this DCG, Gemini, FTX, this collapse and all this contagion that's happened last year got to play itself out. So it's not over yet. And as you said, we know that it's going to play out. 
We know that it has to be resolved. It might resolve when we're asleep and you wake up and the price of Bitcoin's down. But if you knew that this was coming some way or another, you're not you're not terrified. But for the people that are just I'm scared. But for the people that are like trying to day trade this, Bitcoin's a 24-hour market. Ooh, good luck. So don't trade, buy, hold, and if you can, find some places to spend your Bitcoin online because as you spend it into the economy, it greases the wheels and more and more people will accept it and then that actually increases the value of your Bitcoin. Makes sense to me.